This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. I want to get straight into the Word. I've got a lot of ground that I want to cover tonight. Typically what I'm going to try and share in one hour would take me about three to four meetings. Um, so I'm going to ask God to give me acceleration in the ability to communicate revelation, that the entrance of God's Word would bring light. Uh, if they could bring the sound down for me in the house, it's like really sharp up here somewhere. It's just like driving me crazy, and you don't want me crazy. I just get so weird when I go crazy. <laughs> I don't know where it is, but it's real strong to me. Um, still bring it down some more. Thank you. Right, yeah. Thank you. That's better. Woo. It was hot. God's got an army marching through the land. Deliverance is their song. Healing in the hand. How many remember that song? An everlasting joy in their heart. And in this army, I've got a part. The old hymn writer said, Onward Christian soldiers marching us to war. This has become songs, not always a reality. And all of you know that not only we as individuals, but corporately as a church, we have faced the barrages, the attacks, the assaults of the forces of darkness. How many of you have personally felt harassment from the demonic realm in your life, trying to hinder your faith, rob you of your vision, rob you of your joy, bring sickness, compromise, distractions. How many of you have felt it? Anyone out there? Work with me a little bit. I felt the attack. I felt the intensity increase. What about you? Have you felt like this last few months it's just gone, instead of from glory to glory, the attacks just get stronger and stronger? The enemy is against the church. The enemy of your soul is against you. Now, personally, I don't think he cares whether you make heaven or hell, but what he does care about, are you anointed? Are you God-filled? Are you walking in faith? Do you possess a vital vision, and in this army you have a part? He doesn't care if you sing your songs, pray your prayers, attend your little meetings, but what he does care about is when you arise and shine, and you start to step into the glory of God and take your part and become a world shaker, a carrier of God's glory to your generation, then you are a threat to his evil cause. And his evil cause, he cannot defeat Jesus. That's been done. But what he can do is defeat you, defeat us, and cause us to be held back in the commission, in the work that God has given us to do. And he fights dirty, he fights mean, he fights viciously because he is on a mission. Many Christians don't have a sense of mission. He has a mission. His mission is to steal, to kill, to destroy, to rob you of your anointing, to rob you of your vision, to rob you of your love, to rob you of your joy, to rob you of your peace, to rob you of your health, to rob you of your family. His attacks have never changed. He hasn't backed down because he knows that his hour is short. Now, I'm not yet to in any way celebrate the works of darkness. I'm just telling you we're engaged in a real battle. This is not some little uh, a game, but it is real. Our enemy is against the church and is against you. And unless we rise up and take our place in sonship, that we will be overpowered, and instead of hastening the return of the Lord, it will be delayed. Now, I want to add this, that this salvation that we are made partakers of is not so anemic that His church will be defeated. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail. This salvation that we are made partakers of is not so weak that we are going to be a decrepit, beaten down people. God is raising up a generation through the salvation to be more than conquerors. 
overcomers. Why? Because there is something to be conquered. There is something to be overcome. He hasn't just saved us to make heaven. I keep saying this, but He has saved us to be effective and powerful and carriers of His love, light, glory, and word to our generation. And if the enemy can stop us, he will. But we have to rise up and wage a warfare, the good fight of faith, take our stand and take our land. And that cannot be done unless you're a possessor of what I call the giant slayer spirit or the warrior spirit. God does not see you as a loser. God does not see you as a wimp. God sees you as a mighty man or mighty woman of war. He sees you as a warrior. He sees you as a possessor of the spirit of Jesus, that spirit that spoiled principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. You are a partaker of the divine nature. Our God is a mighty man of war. Isaiah 42, 13, the Lord will uh, go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. Exodus 15, 3, the Lord is a warrior and the Lord is his name. David, in approaching Goliath, said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the leader of the armies of heaven. We don't stand in our own position and strength. We stand in the identification of who we are in Him. The Bible says that God is a warrior. As He is, so are we. So something of the warrior nature of God is embedded in the new creation species. Hallelujah. We are also partakers of His peace, of His strength, of His joy, of His mercy, of His grace. All those attributes and characteristics we are also partakers of, but we are also a partaker of this violence of faith. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. So on the one hand, we are ministers of reconciliation, but we are also warriors engaged in a holy war against our enemy, who is not flesh and blood, but principality, power, dominion, and spiritual wickedness in high place. There is a real foe who is against you and against us as a collective people. Because we are partakers of His divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, as He is, so are we, that we stand in this identity. Hallelujah. We're not standing in our own uh, ability, in our own strength, in our own stature. Our stature is found in Him. Our identity is found in Him. Our victory is found in Him. Can you say amen? Now, in, in relationship uh, to heaven, uh, to God, I want to be known in heaven as a son. We ought to be known as sons and daughters, not occasional visitors that show up at Thanksgiving and special family events. We are citizens of heaven. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want to be known in the realm of heaven as a son or for you as ladies, as daughters of the Most High God. To as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to be sons and daughters. So you have the right to be, but whether you press into that identity is not determined by God, but is determined by you. And that's why we want to have a hunger for God, a desperation of God, uh, for God. That's why we are not just Sunday morning spiritual deadheads, but we are alive, vital, living, and walking in this faith, pursuing all the will of God. We seek first the kingdom of God. And this is important because what I'm about to share with you and what I am sharing with you is essential. It's got to be in balance. It's got to be in order. This isn't a capacity for some weirdness. 
And if I had time, I would take you into the book of Jude and show you that these things are very real, and our approach to these things has to be with the right attitude from the right relationship. You cannot embark in these things. Even Michael the archangel uh, came in the name of the Lord, not in his own authority when contending for the body of Moses, because he understood that this war is real, this enemy is real, and we operate in those realms in authority out of this relationship with God. And so if you're not right with God, walking in the grace of God, walking in the righteousness of God, walking in the fellowship of God, then you're going to take on something uh, and you're not ready for it. Because the authority that you have is not found in the volume of your voice. I rebuke you, devil. You remember the sons of Sceva, they came and they tried to take on some spiritual forces and were overpowered. Why? Because they were not in right relationship. There's a series of movies. I only just started watching it. It's, I, I don't even know what it's called, um, where it's about the life of Jesus. And in the very first one, Nicodemus who is a spiritual leader, they're building up to the story. He goes to cast out a demon, and he's not equipped for it, and he has to escape. Many Christians think because they attend church, because they know the Word of God, that they know that they have the armor of God, but they're not walking known in heaven, pressing into their personal walk with God. They are inadequate when it comes to these forces. And so they have to shout, bind, rebuke, loose, and do all the things. But nothing is happening. That's why Peter says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he flees. If you're not right with God, walking in submission to his authority, to his lordship, then when you rebuke, you bind, you loose, you cast out, nothing is happening because you're not operating from the position of dominion that is found in the strength of your relationship, not in the volume of your voice. We want to be known in heaven. We ought to be respected and honored in the church as being the faithful, loyal, committed, engaged, involved. It's all relational, right with God, right with one another, loving God, loving one another. This is essential because if these things aren't right, then what I'm about to share with you actually becomes a little weird. So we want to be known in heaven. We want to be honored and respected in the church. And then we will be feared and recognized by these enemies of our soul and the enemies of the church. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. They won't turn around, but who are you? They will know who you are, and they'll recognize the authority because you're coming from the position of relationship that is right with God and right with one another. So we relate to God as sons, we relate to one another as brothers and sisters, and we relate to the enemy as those who are in charge, in dominion. We're not coming with a sense of inferiority when we stand in front of these enemies. We are clothed in the armor of light. We are clothed in the armor of God. We are clothed in the identification. We are in Him, and He is in us. Now, many Christians are living like survivalists. They are not possessing the inheritance. They are not possessing what God has provided for them in Christ Jesus. They're not operating in these dimensions, and so they are being robbed of their inheritance because the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. What you've been given sometimes has to be taken from the forces of darkness that have robbed your family and robbed our culture, and people will have to possess it. I think that right now the church needs to rise up in faith and, and come against sickness and disease. The giant that is mocking the church is sickness and disease. The very the, the volume of his voice is an insult to the God of salvation who is the God of divine healing. These are some of the things that our generation is going to have to rise up and face and confront and take back our rightful place. We have a Goliath mocking the church called sickness, disease, robbing us of our health, robbing our families of our health. And someone's going to have to rise up like David and run towards that giant and bring it down. 
when I say someone, everyone, because these signs shall follow them who believe. Believers are going to lay hold of the promises of God that are yes and amen and start to contend again for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And the word contend means to fight vigorously. People are not fighting vigorously for what God has given, and the enemy is holding us back, robbing us of faith, robbing us of, of initiative and, and strategies to press into these realms. Now, again, to, to go straight into awakening the warrior spirit, I need to say that the warrior spirit, the giant slayer, is the militant spirit of faith because it is the good fight of faith. And so it is the operations of faith that are the operations of warfare, which is to possess the land, to move the mountains, to conquer those enemies that stand in front of the, the provision and the promise of God. It is the conquering attitude that possesses the land. That was the promise that was given to Joshua, possess the land, put your feet down. Well, to possess the land, he had to what? Dispossess the enemies that had to be seized by force. Joshua had the warrior spirit. And so the church, if we are going to advance the kingdom and advance with the gospel, and we're going to put our feet down, Every place that the soles of your feet shall tread, I have given it to you. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Someone is going to have to put their feet down, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and seize that land, treading on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means harming them, because they know the authority, and to advance the gospel, to grow the church, to make disciples, is going to be a holy combat. And unless you have the warrior spirit, you'll be intimidated, firstly by the failures and, and the oppositions, and then you'll back away and just resort back to TV Christianity, watching what others do instead of being on the, the cutting edge, on the front lines of what God wants to do. You'll become a spectator of the handful that are doing the work of God instead of all of us rising up to the call of God. There are always going to be a handful that will take on the giants. There's always going to be a David that will run when the rest of the armies of Saul are hiding in their tents. There's always going to be those hiding in their tents, but we need people that will run after this thing, run with the gospel and run with the power of God and run with revival and run with advancing the growth of the church. So it is the conquering attitude that possesses the land. It is the conquering attitude that does spiritual landscaping that moves mountains and takes on the giant, the impossibility that stands in front of you trying to stop your victory. It's the sound of faith. The warrior spirit, the giant slayer, is the sound of faith that emanates from the inner being that says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And this day I will have your head. It's that boldness. It is that authority. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. It's that operation of faith in the boldness of God. I like to call it Book of Acts living. And we were saved not to be reading the Book of Acts alone, but to live in the continuum of this great book. In Ezekiel chapter 37, and I don't have time to go into all the background and the backdrop to it, but as Ezekiel in verse 10 prophesied as he was commanded by God, breath came into them, the dry bones. Breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. I believe that there are many Christians today that are living like an army slain in the valley as dry bones. They have not taken on what God has given them. They have just been saved by grace. Their famous song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. But they've not, they've not arisen. They've not got up. They've not got up past that initial burst of energy at the new birth. They've stagnated. They're prayerless. They're lazy. They're indifferent. 
they lack the compassion, they lack the commitment to go out of their way for the things of God. And we need a holy revival. The breath of God needs to enter the bones, the dry bones of this generation of saints and cause us to rise up and again become a mighty army. And I believe that this is what the giant slayer message is. It's a prophetic utterance to this generation to become what we are meant to be and not just passive, indifferent, uh, weak-kneed, gutless, namby-pamby, defeated, going about our normal lives with a sense of urgency. But when it comes to the things of the Spirit, it's lackluster, colorless, and indifferent. Now, couple of quick thoughts. This which I'm sharing is not male. The warrior spirit is not male. Even though when the angel of the Lord approached Gideon, he said, you mighty man of war or you mighty warrior, in the new creation, we are neither male nor female. So the warrior spirit is not just for the males, but it is for every believer, the warrior spirit. And we have a biblical precedence for that in that Deborah was a leader of the armies of God and took on an army much bigger and outnumbered them in the spirit of God, and God brought about a great victory. So it is neither male nor female, but it is the new creation. The language of the New Testament leads towards a sense of passivity, and um, in many ways, uh, it, it would appear that we, are, we don't have any strength or gumption, and especially if you read scriptures like where Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Well, if I turn the other cheek, then I'm a pacifist. So how can I be engaged in the warrior spirit but be a pacifist at the same time? No aggression in me, no standing up to my enemies. Well, when it comes to flesh and blood, when it comes to people that will persecute the faith, we turn the other cheek. But when it comes to the principalities and the powers that are working behind those things, we are not turning the other cheek. We are fighting back. We are pressing through. We are crossing over. We are not just taking the slap on the cheek because we recognize the slap on the cheek comes from a man. But the operation of the spiritual forces through that man is the spirit of darkness, corruption, wickedness, the antichrist spirit. And so on the one hand, I turn the other cheek. On the other hand, I fight back. Do you see the difference? So I'm not a pacifist. I'm a man of war. I'm a warrior. I'm a giant slayer. You can strike me on the cheek and I have to forgive you. I have to love you, love your enemies, forgive them, turn the other cheek. These are the principles of the new kingdom. It was written an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, you've got to forgive them. You've got to love them. You've got to turn the other cheek. So we are when it comes to people, pacifists. But when it comes to our enemy, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We are not fighting flesh and blood, but we are wrestling. We are engaged in vital war, and we're not coming as pacifists. We are raging like the Lion of Judah inside of us, strong, bold, courageous, vicious, dangerous to those forces. Why? Because we are more than conquerors, overcomers. On the one hand, we're to turn the other cheek. We also have been given the ministry of reconciliation, which is to make peace. And so our ministry comes with peace, not war with people. But while we bring peace to people, we bring war to darkness. Why? Because the advance of the gospel is actually one of the highest forms of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is not just binding and loosing and shouting and rebuking, but the proclamation of the gospel is the true breaking of chains of souls, bringing liberation to their lives. It is the true and the greatest form of spiritual warfare, delivering lives through the proclamation of the gospel. Though prayer is warfare, 
Standing in faith is warfare. Worship is warfare. Our singing, our dancing, our shouting is all a form of warfare as well as we stand in our position in righteousness. So the Bible says, live at peace with all men as much as possible. And so we do our best to live peaceably with all men. But behind the scenes, we're at war. We're called into the army of God. We're engaged in this. So some scriptures about being part of the army of God. We are more than conquerors. We've been given the weapons that are mighty in God. We've been given the armor of God. We've been given the armor of light. Paul it refers to some of his, uh, to Epaphroditus, he calls him a fellow soldier. So the advance of the ministry was as beloved brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. And herein lies a principle that is essential to the warrior spirit. Again, the balanced life. The balanced life is right with God, right with one another. Engaged in the work of God then you're engaged in the war of God. If you're not willing to take on the work of God, why would you take on the war of God? This is essential, church. If you're watching at home right now, this is essential to catch this. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 to Epaphroditus, and he commends him for being a beloved brother. In other words, you're in the family of God. We are close. We are connected by the Spirit of God. You walk in with God in righteousness, and you walk in with me in righteousness. You're a fellow worker. You're engaged in the work of God, but you're also a fellow soldier. And we see this in David, the giant slayer. He was a worshiper, singing his psalms to God, playing his instrument, a man after the heart of God. He was also a possessor of the warrior spirit that was found even when he was in the work because where was he? Tending his father's sheep, protecting his father's sheep. So he was a worshiper of God. Because God said, I sought a man after my own heart. And Jesus in John chapter 4 says, God's looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So God finds a man who has a worshiping heart. And he's a diligent worker. He's tending his father's flocks. When the prophet comes to bring anointing to one of the sons of Jesse, fill your horn with oil and go to the house of Jesse, he goes to all the brothers and God says, not this one, not this one, not this one, because God sees the heart. And when he looked into the heart of these, even though they're on the outside, they look kingly. But on the inside, they weren't. Why? Because they weren't worshipers. They weren't workers. Where were they? They were at their dad's house, at the table. Uh, Where was David? In the field working. Unless you can embrace the work of God, you are not able to truly embrace the war of God. The balance. So David becomes the anointed armor bearer of King Saul. But the Bible says... In I believe it's first first um, uh, Samuel seventeen that David would return occasionally to his father's house to tend his father's flock. So on the one hand, he's working for Saul as an armor bearer, and he is also a worshiper in that place, you know, bringing deliverance, songs of deliverance to to Saul, operating in the spirit. But he's also diligently still tending to his father's flocks. He would return, and when he returns to tend to his father's flocks, his dad says to him, would you take some cheese and bread and grain to the armies of Saul and to your brothers and bring a report to to me of their uh, health and their well-being. And then the Bible says, David arose early in the morning and he placed the sheep in the care of other workers. He was not only a worker, he was a diligent worker who understand, who understood authority. His father's authority was given to him to go and conduct business, but he didn't neglect his business 
tending for his father's sheep. He made sure it was looked after. And so to be a, an effective warrior, to be a giant slayer, you've got to be an effective worker. This is, again, the balanced life. If you're not balanced and you just want to fight the enemy, take on the giants, but you can't be engaged in the work, you'll become, again, a spiritual weirdo. We don't need more weirdos taking on principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places without being in righteousness, being clothed in the armor of God, then what's going to happen is you're going to come under the attack of the enemy and he will overpower you and you think, well, I know the word, I know what I am, but you're not in the order of God. Let everything be done decently in order. And so we want to cultivate the balanced life to make sure that we are right with God, right with the church, engaged in the work of God, and then we are ready to take on these things that God has called us to do, to be a possessor of the land, to move mountains, and to slay the giants. Um, I want to how am I doing for I've got about 20 minutes. I want to start wrapping it up and bring it into a, a logical close. Moses was adopted into the courts and the palace of Pharaoh. Am I correct? And um, when he was adopted, he became a prince. Princes were trained to lead. They were trained to administrate the kingdom, their father's kingdom because the throne would be handed to the sons. Am I correct? So even though Moses was an adopted son, he assumed the business of Egypt, the business of Pharaoh. And part of his training would be to lead armies. The Bible says when kings go to war in spring, kings went to war. Kings would advance their kingdoms in the right way climatic conditions when kings went to advance their authority, their kingdom, their rule. Now, in Josephus writes about Moses who went and he fought the Ethiopians. So we know that Moses was a general who led the armies of Egypt and advanced the cause into Ethiopia. So he was trained as a man of war. I also know this because there comes a point in time when Moses is having an inner crisis where he recognizes that he's not a son of Pharaoh, but he's a son of God. And he knows that his brothers are being abused and used and something is not sitting right inside of him because Yeri is enjoying the palace and the treasures and the opulent living, but his brethren are suffering and he's in this inner confusion and he's wondering how can he bring about a liberation to Israel. So he sees a soldier abusing one of the sons of Israel, and he goes, Moses goes, and he strikes that soldier and kills him. I know that Moses had a warrior spirit because it is not easy to kill a man. You have to have a warrior spirit to kill another soldier because the other soldier doesn't just stand there and say, Slay me. A soldier will what? Defend himself. He is also a trained fighter. So Moses knows how to fight and Moses knows how to win. Why? Because he has a warrior spirit. He has a giant slayer inside of him. He wants to liberate the people. He just doesn't know how. He doesn't have the strategy. So he acts presumptuously uh, too soon and he finds himself a fugitive. He flees to the backside of the desert where he takes care of his father-in-law's flocks. He's at the age of 40, and for the next 40 years, he will be a what? A peasant. A peasant, a survivalist, a fugitive. He's not a ruler. He's not in dominion. He's not in authority. He's not a, a warrior. He's a fugitive. He's lost his identity. He doesn't know what he's got to do, so all he does is survive, living day to day, taking care of someone else's responsibilities. He has the encounter at the burning bush 
where he is awakened in the call of God, the vision of God, to go and make a difference to the nation of Israel. Am I right? You can't deliver a nation from an army that is very powerful and a king that is very powerful without being a warrior. Because when you go back to Egypt, you go as a fugitive, only armed with a shepherd's staff in your hand. Well, and the glory of God on the inside. Let's not forget about that. But you're going as a mere man against an entire army. Don't you think you've got to have boldness, strength, courage? And he's got to overcome all his fear and his sense of inadequacy in the spirit. And he has to go back to deliver a nation. You cannot deliver a nation unless you have a giant slayer inside of you. Moses goes back, and through the process of time, he brings about the deliverance of a nation. Well, what has Israel become? There was a time when they were living in prosperity and success, but then Pharaoh changed and started to seize their land, seize their acquisitions, and he turned them into a nation of what? Slaves. Instead of being sons of God, they became slaves to Pharaoh, citizens of the land, not walking in the blessing of Abraham, not walking in the blessing of covenant. They are slaves. <coughs> they have no aggression to fight back. They work every single day making bricks, putting their lives on the line to advance the cause of Pharaoh and they just making enough to live another day. If they don't fulfill their quota, they don't get their what? Their food. They don't get their provision. They are slaves. And so they're living suppressed, oppressed. Moses comes to deliver them. And ultimately, ultimately through the supernatural power of God, the intervention of God, he sets them free. They come out of Egypt, citizens of the kingdom, in the provision and the prosperity of God. They come to the Red Sea. Who's coming up behind them? Pharaoh and his armies. Moses has to be a warrior and make a way, and he, they cross over the sea, and then God intervenes and wipes out their enemies. Then they are now in the wilderness. The wilderness should have taken days, or even let's call it weeks. But how long did it take? Forty years. Why? Because they had, became, they had become a citizenship of servants, of slaves, not sons and daughters of God. They were not possessors of the warrior spirit and the promised land, even though it was given by God, promised to them a land flowing with milk and honey, but there were giants in the land. There were fortified cities in the land. They would have to cross over to possess their possessions. God-given possessions. And you can't get what God gives you without a fight. It's not an automatic download. It is automatically there, but it has to be seized by faith. And faith means at times going to war against those who have what God has given to you. Making sense so far. So for 40 years, Moses has to get Egypt out of them. And God into them, the kingdom into them. And he struggles with that, as you know. He, you, you realize that there's this constant warfare where they are rebelling against the authority of Moses, the authority of God. They're compromising. You can't go into a nation and plunder it in compromise. You have to go in faith and obedience. So Moses is working to get Egypt out of them, to get the Spirit of God inside of them. They are resistors of God. Welcome to 2021. Much of the church is exactly like what was happening in those days, possessors of the promises of God, but resistors of the call of God. Grumbling, complaining, murmuring, rebelling, 
resisting what God wants to do because they're living selfishly just as survivors. God's giving them food. God's giving them water. God's giving them protection. And they're quite satisfied to live in the wilderness until they die because after all, they've got just enough. Even though the promise of God is that you will have abundance, they're satisfied because inside of them they are still peasants. They are not possessors of the warrior spirit, the advance for something bigger, something greater. They're happy with the little to just survive and eke out an existence by gathering manna every day and drinking the water from the rock. Their clothes aren't wearing. There's none feeble amongst them. Hey, we're having it good in the wilderness. And every now and again, they would love to return to the land of garlic and leeks. But Moses keeps having to direct them closer and closer to the banks of the Jordan, ever trying to deliver them from the diminished image of God inside of them because the greater one is meant to be in them, but they're living in the littleness of self. So they get, eventually, after 40 years, they get to the banks of the Jordan. Just on the other side is a land flowing with milk and honey. Abundance, provision. Yes, there are giants. Yes, there are fortified cities. Yes, there are strong armies. But after all, God said, I've given you the land. I'm going to make a way for you. I'm going to give you the victory. This is yours. So Moses gets a strategy that it's time to cross over. So he gets people, leaders, proven leaders, Joshua, Caleb, And 10 others, he gathers them and he says, listen, I need you to go in, spy out the land, and come back so that we know how we're going to take on this nation. It is essential when we in the church, pastors, when we give people an assignment that we give them very clear directives job descriptions of our expectations. Unfulfilled expectations lead to offense. Those 10 spies became offended by the task. They not only became offended by the task, they became offended by Moses' leadership, God's leadership, by the confidence that was found in Joshua and Caleb. And uh, they came back, and in, in reality... They violated the call of God, the destiny of God inside of them. And I think of the mission statement of this church, which is to awaken God's people to their potential and to their calling to disciple and to equip them. Moses sent people that he thought was equipped, but they weren't equipped with enough clarity to come back with confidence. They came back with an evil report. And I'll tell you why they came back with the evil report. Because they did not possess a warrior spirit. They were still peasants in their heart. They wanted it to fall into their lap without a fight. And when they went in, they knew that there were giants in the land. They knew that there were fortified cities. But they came back with an opinion that they are grasshoppers in their own sight. They made themselves to be less than what God had called them to be. And many believers are living in that same attitude. We say the greater one lives in us, but in their testimony and in their attitude and in their lifestyle, they are not living as more than conquerors. They're not living out of the abundance of the greater one inside of them. They're living out of the littleness of survivors, hoping that there's enough manna for the day, enough drink for the day, and God's protection for the day. They satisfy to have what's available to them. They're not willing to advance the gospel. They're not willing to grow the church. They're not willing to take on the giants of fortified cities. They just want to live from service to service instead of going from glory to glory, strength to strength, ever possessing, ever advancing. They're going from Sunday to Sunday, singing their songs, praying their prayers, but their hearts are lukewarm, cold, casual, indifferent, disobedient, rebellious, and they're wondering, why isn't this stuff working? 
I'll tell you why it's not working. Because those 10 empowered their enemies and they died on the wrong side of their destiny because they did not have the spirit of faith and they did not possess the giant slayer spirit. They were slain by their giants when they said, we are grasshoppers in our own eyes. They did not know their identity in covenant. There are so many believers today that don't know their true identity. They don't have a a revelation of their position in Christ, of what they've been given, the authority of the believer, the position of the believer, the strength of the believer, the faith of the believer. They live as mere men. They may occasionally quote the word because they've heard it taught on their Sunday morning sojourns over their 30 years with their lives that haven't won a soul, moved a mountain, worked a miracle. They've heard all the teachings on their position, armor of God, binding, loosing, rebuking, but they're not living it. They're not advancing. There's no passion. There's no vision. There's no anointing flowing in their lives, just living hand to mouth, just like those 10 spies. And what they're doing is they're making themselves less than what God's called them to be. And in so doing, empowering their enemy and they die on the wrong side of their destiny. Now, because we are saved by grace through faith and not of works, We'll sing our songs as we enter into the amazing glory of God, but we'll come in empty-handed instead of coming with abundance in our hands as an offering. You did a great work for me. Here's the, the evidence of my faith in you, souls advancing the gospel, lives delivered, healed, prayers answered. I got engaged in your work, and so many people are living on the wrong side of their God destiny, on the wrong side of the Jordan. They couldn't go in because they didn't have the giant slayer spirit. But Caleb and Joshua, what did they have? The giant slayer spirit. Even 40 years later when it's time to cross over, a whole generation has died. Yes, Caleb, you can have any piece of the land. Caleb, you were faithful, you were loyal. You served, the, as the Bible says, you served the Lord wholeheartedly. There was no compromise in his life. Joshua and Caleb served God wholeheartedly. They were possessors of the giant slayer spirit before they slew a giant. But they were willing to do it. Their faith was willing to take on something bigger than themselves. They were willing to go lay hold of what Christ had laid hold of for them. They were willing to press in press through the barriers, the blockages, the obstacles, cross over and take what God had promised to them because they had seen it as a good land. They saw it as the place of, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. They wanted to enter into the abundance of God's provision for body, soul, spirit, life, and family. And they knew to get it, they had to be standing in faith. They had to be standing wholeheartedly serving God. Caleb says, give me the mountain. Give me something bigger than myself. I'm 80 years old, but I'm, stronger, I'm as strong today as I was when we crossed over and saw the land. I'm ready. Give me something with something big on it. Give me a mountain with some giants around it. Let me go to war and advance the cause of Israel. Why? Because he was a possessor of the giant slayer spirit. Even Joshua standing on the banks of the Jordan has an encounter with the, with the pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. How does Jesus appear to Joshua? He comes as the Lord of hosts. He comes clothed in armor. Joshua recognizes him as a man of war. Have you come to fight for us or against us? I'm on your side. I'm going to take you over. So God awakens the giant slayer in Joshua because you can't possess what God gives you without being a giant slayer. I close with this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4, Paul writing to Timothy, a young leader, he needed this leader to possess the warrior spirit, the attitude of a soldier, because they were engaged in a war. He says to Timothy, endure suffering along with me. Well, that doesn't sound like a warrior spirit endure suffering. 
Well, that's because the suffering is flesh and blood. We are citizens of the kingdom. We turn the other cheek. We don't fight back in persecution. Jesus was uh, very clear. He said, all who live godly will be persecuted. You'll be persecuted for my name's sake. You'll be persecuted for the word. He warned us that there would be resistance. We live in a world that is against the advance of the gospel. And, and when it comes to people, we are not at war with people. We are not some militant force, some uh, activated soldiers on a cause, armed with guns and camo, going to war with people that believe differently to us. We're not weird. We live holy lives, pure lives. We're citizens of the kingdom. Uh, and, and our war is not against our persecutors and those that believe differently to us. We pray for them. We love them. We forgive them. Endure suffering along with me. There is a suffering that we will face if we live godly. He says, endure suffering with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So there is the suffering that comes from man, and then there is the attitude of the warrior, the soldier, that must be in us. Because we know that there is a warfare in the midst of this persecution, suffering, and advance of the gospel. There is a warfare, and you can't just be a soldier. Paul is very clear. He says, have the attitude of a good soldier. Soldiers are not always good. When the troops were mobilized to Vietnam, they were forced to go there. Many of them didn't want to be there. They had to go there or go to jail. So they went to war, and they blew their minds out on pot and dope, opium and so on. They weren't good soldiers. They were blown out of their mind, trying to ease the pain and the suffering. Why? Because they weren't good soldiers. They were there. They didn't want to be there. There's a big difference between a good soldier. A good soldier has the attitude of a good soldier. He stands erect. His posture is tall. He has a fire in his heart and a fire in his eyes. He wears his uniform with pride. He's not looking what he can get out of. He's looking at what he can get into. I know the difference between a good soldier and a soldier because I was a drill, drill instructor. I prepared people for war. I know when I look at a man that's dressed in exactly the same uniform, the same boots, the same socks, the same pants, the same shirt, the same jacket, the same weapon, the same hat, the same flashes. But there's a difference between the one and the other. The one is lazy, indifferent, looking what he can escape from, and the other one is looking for the fight, looking for the work, looking to advance. And so Paul is very clear. He says, be a good soldier. We need to be good soldiers. Good soldiers are passionate, loyal, committed. They are not trying to avoid the fight. They live for the fight. Why? Because they're possessors of the warrior spirit. Give me the mountain. That's what the good soldier says. The other one says, there's a mountain. Give me the mountain is the attitude in the good soldier. And then he goes on to say to Timothy, which is really the Holy Spirit speaking to us today, not only in this room, but watching and those who will hear it in the spirit realm as they watch later on. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. We've got too many people that are so wrapped in the affairs of everyday life that there's no capacity for the things of God. There's no capacity for prayer, for the study of God's Word, to go out of their way, to, to press into the glory of God, to get the touch of God, to wait on God, to worship God. They just accommodate God in that hour and a half on a Sunday morning. Good soldiers will go beyond the hour and a half. They'll be willing to get up and pray into the night. They'll be willing to get up early in the morning to stir their hearts in faith. They'll pray for the church. They'll pray for the pastors. They'll pray for the leaders. They'll pray for souls. They'll pray for missionaries. They'll be willing whenever there's something to be done. I'll do it. They have a willingness about them to get engaged, to get involved. They're not looking what they can get out of because there's always someone else that will do it. No, there isn't always someone else. Jonah is a testimony that there wasn't someone else. 
When God needed a man to go to Nineveh, Jonah went the wrong way. There was no B plan. God had to redirect Jonah's life to get him back on course. And even then, he went with a bad attitude. And I think there are many Christians that have gone through many sufferings to get back on course. And then they still approach the call of God with a bad attitude. Jesus didn't have a backup plan. He was the man. If he didn't embrace the suffering, the cross, there was no B plan. And the truth is every believer is called to be a part of the A plan of God. Everyone is called. Everyone is chosen. Everyone is selected. But, and it's not all just warfare. There is also the training, the preparation, the servant, the work, all that comes into play, the balanced life. But soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. In other words, you can't allow the cares of this world to so wrap you up that there's no capacity for the things of God. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Our goal is to be pleasing to God. That is our goal to be pleasing to God. The warrior spirit is to be pleasing to God. The giant slayer is to be pleasing to God. That's why David took on the giant and killed him. Why? Because he wanted to glorify God. He was insulted by the insults that the giant hurled against Saul and his armies, against the the covenant God, the good God that had given them the land. He ran to take on that giant because he understood the covenant blessings of God that came when you will take on the enemies, when you can advance the cause of Israel. And he was willing to not only take on the giant, he was willing to take on the armor bearer of the giant, and he was willing to take on an entire army that stood behind the giant. Now the fact that the armies of Israel came in after the fact and helped clean up the mess is, is great. But that was late. And we shouldn't be late. We should be on the forefront. Notice the passion of David. David runs towards the giant. Or everyone wanted to keep him away from the fight. But the fight was inside of him. Why? Because he had killed the lion. He had killed the bear. He knew what it was to take on father's business. And taking on the advance of the, of the Father's business, there's the time for worship, there's the time for prayer, and then there's the time for the work, and then there's time for the war. And we need to be possessors of that giant slayer spirit to take on the giants of this generation. Stand with me, if you would, please, as we pray. At home... Get engaged right now. Not the time to switch off for the next few minutes. You need to just stay locked in. Get into this prayer, this life-changing prayer. Become a part of what God wants to do in your life right now. Even if you're sitting on your couch, get up and stand and honor God. If you're on your bed, just get up and stand and just join us right now and and just open your heart to the Spirit of God. Let Him move in your home or that hotel room or wherever you find yourself right now. Lord God, thank You for Your people that are standing before You, having heard the sound of Your Word through these lips of clay. Oh God, I spoke Your oracles with the best of my ability to bring people to a vital relationship with You and a strong, loving relationship with one another to be engaged fully in the work of God and at times as needed to wage war against the giants and to take on the fortified cities that stand blocking the advance of the gospel. And so, God, yeah, we are a people that have heard the word. The entrance of your word brings light. And I do pray, oh God, spiritual illumination in these lives, in this place and in their homes, oh God. Cause their hearts to burn within them at the recognition of the call of God, the purpose of God that has been awakened and for some reawakened right now. Thank you, God, that you're speaking to lukewarm hearts, reawakening. Thank you, God, that you're speaking to disconnected hearts reawakening. Thank you, God, that you're speaking to sloppy soldiers who have an attitude to escape, 
to not be willing to sacrifice, to put things on the line, their very life on the line for the advance. God, thank you that you're going to change them from being sloppy, lazy soldiers to good soldiers. Do an inner transformation in our lives, oh God, by your spirit, by your word. Change our attitudes. Change, oh God, our motives. Change, oh God, our priorities, that we may please him who has enlisted us. Come, oh God, and refresh your saints. Renew, revive, refresh their hearts. Some have lived in the battle and have become weary in well-doing. Some have given so much that they're waiting for someone else to come and take on the responsibility. They've beaten up and burnt out by the pressures of life and the pressures of being so engaged and so few have volunteered in the day of your power. Oh God, please tonight, touch hearts that are lukewarm. Touch hearts that are average. Touch hearts that are mediocre. Touch lives that are afraid. Even Gideon's army, oh God, there was no capacity for fear. There was no capacity for looking back what's at home. They had to be on the alert. 300 men were raised because they had the right attitude. They were good soldiers. God, would you turn us from being weak and afraid and lazy and indifferent to becoming good soldiers? Oh God, touch the lives of your people. Fill them with your spirit. Do an inner transformation that would take, oh God, the spirit of fear. It would be eliminated in the position that we find ourselves in Christ. That we'd see not the size of our enemy, but we'd see the greatness of God inside of us. That we'd see the force of faith working through us. That we'd see, oh God, the power and the authority that is found in the name of Jesus. That is backing the words in our mouth and the fire in our heart, oh God, ignite our lives again with the holy zeal, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, the leader of the armies of heaven, the mighty warrior God, that we are born again into his image and likeness. Oh God, cause the armies of God, the modern day church, not just to be armies, but mighty men and women of God, bold, strong, courageous, conquerors, winners, overcomers, clothed and armed with the left hand and the right hand, oh God, ambidextrous in the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, skilled in the use of it, able to conduct themselves in balance and order, help us and transform our lives, I pray, in the Spirit of the Word of God. Conform us to your Word, to your image, to your likeness, that we would reveal your glory to our generation. So God, come and please touch your saints. Now as I close, if your life's not right with God, if you're backslidden, lukewarm, average, mediocre, you've not been engaged in the things of God, you've backed away from the things of God, the fight has come to you and you've waved the white flag of surrender and you backed off, it's time to get back into the fight of God. If that's you, I need you to pray with me right now. I need you to seek God with all of your heart. If you're in this place, if you're at home, I need you to seek God with all of your heart right now. If you've backed off the fight, if you've backed off your love, if you've backed off the work, if you've backed off the worship, worshipers, workers, warriors. You can't just be a warrior. You've got to be a worker. You've got to be a worshiper. First, a worshiper and a lover of God. Second, a worker. Thirdly, a warrior. If you've backed off worship, if you've backed off your relationship with God, you've got to get back to God right now. If you've backed off the work, you've got to get back to the work. You can't put your hand to the plow and look back. You're not fit for the kingdom. Put your hands back on the plow and get back to what God has called you to do. Don't be a wicked and lazy servant. Jesus said, depart from me, you wicked and lazy servant. But he also said, well done, good and faithful. If you're not good and faithful, if you're wicked and lazy, repent right now. Turn back to God right now. You can't put your hands to the plow and look back. If you pulled your hands off the work of God, you've got to get back to God right now. If that's you, 
you need to pray this prayer with me. And then let us know, contact the leadership, text them, write them. Let them know that you're making things right with God. Please do that so that we can follow up with you and make sure that you stay plugged in to these realities. The, uh, right now, uh, text that number, use that email, use that link that is going to be given to you right now. Let us know you're praying this prayer. If you're in this place and you want to be included in the prayer, raise your hand right now. Leon, I need to get back to my first love. I need to get back to the work. I need to get back to the war. Just raise your hand right now. Back at home, raise your hand and pray this prayer. Go to that link, Harvest Card. Get on the connection card and say, I'm getting back to God. I'm getting back to the work. I'm getting back to the war. Pray this prayer with me. Lord God, here I am. I give my heart to you. I turn from my wicked and lazy ways and I take on the call, the anointing, the provision of that grace gift that has been given to me, the ministry call that is within me, the vision that is given to me, the faith that is given to me. I assume my place in sonship. I assume my role in Father's house, in Father's business. I'm no longer going to be a fugitive living as a peasant in the backside of the desert. I'm coming to the burning bush. I'm going to stand on holy ground. And I'm going to take on the mantle, the authority, the anointing to bring a great deliverance to my generation, to take my place as a follower of God, a worshiper of God, a son, a daughter of God, a worker of God, and a warrior of God. That's me, oh God, please. Touch my life and restore a right spirit in me. I'm not going to be a, a, a lazy soldier. I'm going to be a good soldier. I'm going to put on the armor of God and I'm going to wear it with dignity. The dignity of the new birth. The dignity of the new creation. I've been delivered from this world. I've been delivered from the darkness that is in this place. And oh God, I choose to put on the armor of light to live my life in righteousness. I choose to live for you. Here I am, God. Receive my life. Receive my heart. Cleanse me. Fill me. Change me. I pray in Jesus' name. Now you can take your seats. I'm about to pray for people. If you prayed that prayer, don't be ashamed. That's what the devil would do is love to shame you. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. There's no shame in this. It's time for God's people to get real, to be transparent, to be honest. If you can't be honest with yourself and honest with us, you'll certainly not get back into the fight. You'll not get back into the war. You'll not get back into the work. So be honest. Write us, say, Leon, I'm, I, I put my name here because it's time for me to take my rightful place, to assume sonship, to assume the responsibility of Father's business. There is destiny inside of me. There's a work that God has called me to, and I want to become a part of that. I'm not going to be a wicked and lazy servant. I'm not going to put my hand to the plow, take it off, and look back. I'm going to look forward. I'm going to look to what God's called me to do, and I'm going to be fully engaged. If you would do that, please contact us. I appreciate it so much. Now, God, please touch those that have prayed that prayer. Uh, touch their lives, oh God. Fill their lives with your glory and with your grace. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.